0: Is the United States headed toward a national divorce? What exactly does that mean? And why is it that when we look at the various migration patterns of Americans and what states they choose to leave and what states they choose to move to, why could all of that actually be laying the groundwork for a national divorce? Is it something that we want? We're going to discuss all of that and more on this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us to
1: everyone who is already subscribed to the Making the Argument YouTube channel. We want to thank you. If you haven't already, go down to the link in the description of this show. Go there right now because this coming Tuesday on April 11th, we will be live streaming there and on Nick's channel. And next Tuesday will be the first ever time that we have live streamed Making the Argument. So we look forward to seeing you there this Tuesday, April 11th. Let's get right into the show.
0: Okay. So we got a few things that we want to go over today. First thing that we're going to talk about is what exactly do people mean when they talk about national divorce? Well, the more common term used is secession. It's the idea of states actually leaving the union. And so whenever that comes up, obviously people take this historical look of like the civil war and then, and they make comparisons. Like, are you just a neo-confederate? Is this just, you know, basically sour grapes because you didn't win a federal election, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I think we need to understand about this argument, both from the left and the right. All right. You've seen a lot of people on the, on the right talk about national divorce before. You've seen more prominent members on the right talk about national divorce. And it's the idea that we've gotten to a point where too many Americans just want very different things and and this isn't just coming from people on the right when trump got elected in 2016 there was a lot of people in california running around with signs that said california is a nation not a state and you can understand why they might say that because california does have very very different values than than many other parts of the country not to mention the fact that it's about the fourth largest economy in the world right keep in mind california has a larger economy than france right so that's why these sort of arguments come up, both left and right, and it usually always comes when we have a major clash of culture and values within the country, and here's the other part, here's the kicker, and we're going to get to this, we're trying to solve those problems on the federal level. There is a reason why we are not only a constitutional republic, but a federated constitutional Republic, but let's look at some of the cultural disconnects and maybe even intellectual disconnects that we're seeing. So the first thing that we're going to talk about our good friend on Twitter cat turd, um, (laughs) again, this, this guy, I mean, he lives to troll and he trolls very, very well.
2: He's got pretty good takes.
0: He he does, but he, he was talking about the election in Chicago, the mayoral election in Chicago. And why do we bring this up? Well, because when Lori Lightfoot lost the primary and, and keep in mind, it is, it is difficult for incumbents to lose primaries. It typically doesn't happen. And Lori Lightfoot was kind of held up in the national media as one of like the, the main leaders within left-wing progressivism. She was, um, you know, obviously a black woman, lesbian. She, she I mean, she was right there with all the kind of intersectional points. She, she Mayor of one
2: of the largest cities in the country. Mayor she, of
0: one of the largest cities. It, it, embraced woke wokes Keep in mind, wokeism.
2: Chicago is so large that it is the equivalent of being a governor of a relatively small state. Yeah. Being mayor of, yeah. of that city.
0: It is. It is. And, and, and yeah, because most of Illinois, most of Illinois is like rural, rural farmland, right? But, but population-wise, population it's basically Cook County. It's Cook County and Chicago. But we've also known that Chicago has had a major issue with crime. Major issue with crime, major issues with standards of living. It, it's it's amazing when when the left talks about gun violence, the right usually comes back and says, "Oh, you mean like in Chicago with some of the strictest gun laws in the country?" But at the same time, you're you're defunding the police, and this is this is why we bring this up. Lori Lightfoot fully embraced so much of of the woke agenda, the the riots that took place. She was, she was all about that. She was all about intersectionality. She was, she was all about that vision of what America is and the, the progressive or the woke approach to addressing those issues. And so when she lost the primary, a lot of people were like, Oh, even Chicago, has has kind of woken up no pun intended to the fact that some of these policies produce really negative results in fact i would say to some degree we looked at this with the new york mayoral election where they elected i think a former police officer right former NYPD.
2: a a better example would be in um san francisco they they threw out their ultra liberal district attorney attorney because he was refusing to uphold the law and san francisco has a very similar problem to chicago with in fact it, the problem is so bad in San Francisco, the founder
0: of Cash App was murdered in San Francisco literally just a couple days ago. Yeah. So, so crime is, is skyrocketing in some of these areas. And, and again, there's this old joke where uh, some of the most prominent conservative speakers are people that will tell you that when they were younger, they used to be liberal. And the phrase used to be, I got mugged by reality, which is to say that they came face to face with the consequences of policy decisions. So we look at Chicago and we think, oh, they get it. That's why Lori Lightfoot, you know, is not even I mean, she lost in a three-way primary. And then they elect somebody that, and this is this was, you know, take on it. He goes, I think it's hilarious that Chicago elected a communist mayor to the left of Lori Lightfoot, and they absolutely deserve all the hell they're gonna get the next four years. So this is a part where a lot of people from the outside looking in are confused, where it's like, wait a second, you honestly thought that the problem with Lori Lightfoot is that she wasn't enough of an intersectional woke socialist. Like that's, that's what you thought the primary problem was here. Now here's the question. Is this just because as a lot of people will say, Oh, everyone on the left, everyone in the progressive movement, all the woke people are just morons. no, I disagree with their policies. I disagree where they've, we've come with this. But I think it's deeper than that. I think they have, they have very sincerely and very honestly bought into a particular worldview. We've talked about this before with what woke is, with what postmodernism is, with what critical theory is. We're actually planning some more episodes that we're going to do where we do a deep dive in all these different philosophies, worldviews, and what the implications are. But you need to understand, if you believe it, if you honestly buy it, well, then yeah, Lori Lightfoot probably wasn't moving fast enough on increasing spending on the educational programs that they want, on the social programs that they want, on the counseling programs that they want, because they really believe, and, and here's the element of truth. Here's the element of truth in what they believe. Crime doesn't just happen, right? It's not just that people are born and they're bad and they decide to commit crimes. There are, there are different motives, incentives, circumstances, which are conducive or which lead to higher criminal activity than other circumstances. And so their argument is is that we don't need more people going to jail what we need is more intervention at a you know younger level at a community based level that is going to prevent people from resorting to crime. Right? That's that's the overall argument. And I think all of us can look at that on some level and have some sympathy for that approach. The problem is is that when you've said that, okay, I might be sympathetic for the fact that the person that committed the act of violence grew up in an abusive home, but it doesn't absolve the fact that an act of violence has taken place. It doesn't absolve the fact that somebody has been harmed and is, and is entitled to restitution and justice. It doesn't stop the fact that even though their conditions might've been bad, if you don't punish it, if you don't send them to jail, they are statistically speaking, very likely to re-offend. And this is the problem that this is one of the disconnects between a lot of people on the more conservative side and a lot of people on the more left or progressive side. It's not that we, it's not that we don't necessarily want to address some of the, the underlying or root causes, but if you don't punish crime, you are essentially on some level incentivizing it. That's the first problem. Here's the second problem. How are you going to address those underlying conditions? So for instance, if you say that crime is more likely to happen in impoverished areas, if that's your if that's your assumption, or it's more likely to happen in areas which are not well kept, or it's more likely to happen in areas where people don't see a, a high degree of probability for upward economic mobility, or people are destitute, and so therefore they're stealing or they're robbing in order to improve their economic circumstances— the progressive approach to a lot of that has been essentially to say, well, they must be in that situation because of systemically racist, sexist, or oppressive policies, which in, in, there might be an element to that in some cases, not, probably not in others. And they said the solution to that is to provide laws, rules, and regulations which essentially engage in large degrees of transfers of wealth, which is to say, you get money because you're poor, or you get money because you're in a bad situation. Well, again, on, on a superficial level, we might be able to look at that and say, okay, we, we understand you want to raise the economic fortunes of somebody, you wanna raise the, the access to opportunities of someone, but if you're doing so in such a way which punishes success and rewards self-destructive behavior, once again, you're creating perverse incentives. So that's the best thing I can come up with, like a, a good argument for why the left is doing what they're doing, why the progressives are doing what they're doing, and why we have a problem with the do works. I don't think that necessarily explains, though, why some
2: of these cities are doing what they're doing because there's different types of people on the left, right? So, so um, uh, Johnson's challenger, um, uh, Vallas, he. He campaigned as a moderate. He was also a Democrat. Yeah. But he campaigned on, yeah, we need to hire more police officers and crack down on crime and, and deal with this problem because we're, we're bleeding people. Chicago is losing people right now. Cook County is shrinking in population. They're going through the same thing that New York City is going through. They're going through the same thing that Los Angeles is going through. And Vallis pointed out that, like, well, part of the problem is people don't like getting shot. <laughs> Shocker. They don't like their stores being robbed. Yeah. They don't like feeling, uh, you know, un safe when they leave their homes. And he lost that election to a guy who rejected, publicly rejected the possibility of hiring any more police officers. And had previously endorsed like the defund the police movement back in 2020. He was was completely gung-ho with the entire BLM movement and the entire defund the police movement from just three years ago. And he still has many of those views. This guy is basically a proto-Marxist and he won in a city that has been the crime rate is just completely spiraled out of control. It's it, for for decades Chicago's crime rate was very high, but it had been decreasing. And then 2020 happened, and suddenly the numbers shot back up to basically where they were back in the 90s. And the response from the city of Chicago wasn't, "Oh, we need to get this under control." The Chicago the, the, the response from Chicago was, "We need to double down." Yeah. And I I I don't understand entire. I, it was a very close election, mind you, but. I don't necessarily know where this is going to lead. I have a feeling, I know where this is going to lead because we've seen similar things play out in San Francisco, which has lost a ton of people. We've seen it play out in L.A. I
3: wonder if Detroit in
2: New York, Detroit. Yeah. You
3: know, I wonder if Detroit is sort of the that's that's where this is all actually. Going.
2: You know what this reminds me of? Have you ever heard of Coleman Young? Yeah. He was the mayor of Detroit yeah. from like the 70s to the 90s. And he was the guy that basically destroyed the city. Thomas Sowell talks about him a lot. Yeah. Coleman Young reminds me a lot of Brandon Johnson. He um, he got elected in a very racially polarized city at a time when Detroit was going through many problems similar to Chicago. The, the election was very racially polarized. It was two Democrats running against each other, but it yeah. was one Democrat that had all the Hispanics and all the whites vote for him. And then Coleman Young had all the black voters vote for him. Coleman Young basically made the race about race. He didn't make it about anything else. He basically was saying, "You're a racist if you don't vote for me," and so um, Detroit narrowly voted for him. Well, he was—he is easily the worst mayor the city of Detroit has ever had. This guy destroyed that city. It was—they were already struggling because a lot of um, a lot of businesses had started moving out. We've actually done many why minutes about this topic. Um, there were other decisions that Detroit had done. They bulldozed large parts of their city to build highways. They had outsourced a lot of their jobs. They had started raising taxes. There were problems with Detroit, but Detroit really went downhill under this guy's rule. And he had been in, he was in office for about 20 years. And when he left office, Detroit was a shadow of its former self. Um, he came into office in the middle of a crime wave too. He came into office in the mid seventies when Detroit was going through a massive crime It was the, it was the murder capital of the country. And he played the race card, he played the socialist card, he, he governed as a progressive, he campaigned as a progressive, he used identity politics in order to, to keep himself in office. Even when moderate Democrats were trying to throw him out in every single election, he would just crush him every single time. And I have a feeling that Chicago might be going the same way as Detroit because we've seen companies relocate out of the city. There's, um, I think it was like Citadel, they're, they're, they're financial firms that relocated to Miami in the past year when Lawyer Lightfoot was in office. You also have companies like Tyson that had a long, long tradition of having their headquarters in there. They've pulled out. You've had Caterpillar announce that they're pulling out. So you're already seeing the same thing play out that you had with with Detroit where these auto manufacturers pulled out and suddenly there weren't any jobs. Well, you're seeing the same thing with Chicago where you're seeing a diverse array of companies pull out at the same time that a crime wave is is spilling well, out, and,
0: and I, I think the other interesting part here is again with Lori Light. If you're a business in Chicago and you are you know suffering some setbacks is due to crime, due to theft, due to everything else, and you you and Lori Lightfoot loses in the primary, and you have an option, right? And you have an option. That, the 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 guy's at least acknowledging, yeah, there there is a crime problem. We need to hire more police. We need to deal with this. And then that guy loses. You're not just you're not just betting on what's going to happen the next. Two to four years, you're betting on what this actually means in perpetuity. If people have, if so, if they, if people have experienced all the problems and have doubled down on a solution that arguably is failing you're now thinking about the long-term benefits of your, of your company and your business. And this
2: brings us exactly to where I was hoping that we would go with this episode, which is talking about the, the the great sorting that is taking place. So
0: let's talk about that. Let's talk about, so, so now that we've kind of, we're we're using Chicago as kind of an example because again, the three cities that were mentioned, New York city, San Francisco and Chicago, New York city, major crime issue. And they tried to elect someone that's a little bit more, more moderate. But even after then we're starting to see that he's not really governing that way. San Francisco actually got rid of their DA, which I could, not believe. Uh, I mean, I've spent some time in San Francisco and it's a different world. That's all I can say. And the fact that it was so bad that they got rid of their, you know, very, very progressive woke district attorney says something. However, it's not like it's, you know, massively changed. But you could at least point to those two things as, okay, they realized that something was wrong and what they were currently doing wasn't working. In Chicago they did the opposite. They said, the reason why what we're doing right now isn't working is because we haven't done it hard enough, right? And that's what they've done.
3: Well, can I point one thing out about yeah. the crime rate in Chicago? Um, with When it comes to theft from stores and things of that nature, there are a lot of of people in our society today that think it's really okay to go and steal from a store because they're big corporations, you know, and, and they have insurance and it really doesn't hurt anybody. You're not stealing from a person you're stealing from a corporation. So when that's the undercurrent of your voter base, I mean, like people just think these businesses have it coming.
0: Yeah. Or or they, they even think it's like noble to do it.
3: Sure. Sure. And so at the same time that businesses are struggling to stay afloat and and deciding whether or not they stay or go the people are like you have it coming you yeah. know and so they go ahead and elect this because they're fine with the crime rate they are fine with that type of crime well and
0: i think this is this is the part where now we're going to bring up this tweet by by ian wyatt and and this was in april it was like april 4th um, so it's relatively new, but he was talking about Metro areas with the largest population drops from 2020 to 2022. So this is a two year period. We're going to go through and talk about this. And for those of you listening, if you're watching, you can see this, those of you listening on audio, we're going to list off the top 10, right? Um, I'm going to start off with it. I'm going to start off from 10. All right. Tim is Pittsburgh. Uh, Pennsylvania has lost 19,994 people. Number nine is Cleveland, Ohio at 23,000. Uh, Number eight at New Orleans, 24,000. Boston, Massachusetts, 30,000. Detroit, Michigan, 38,000. That's Jose. incredible that Detroit yeah. keeps losing people. San Jose, 57,000. Uh, Chicago, Illinois, 158,000 people in two years. Uh, San Francisco, 160,000 people in two years have left San Francisco. Los Angeles, 305,000 people have left in the last two years. And finally, number one. New York, New York, the Big Apple, 431,000 people have left New York City in the last two years. That's almost
3: half a million people. And I mean, how much of that is due to the pandemic shutdown and like they were just Nazis about it?
2: Tons of it is due to that. It's a combination. It's a combination of shutting down your cities, destroying economies, and letting law and order completely disintegrate. People move to cities for job opportunities and because of services that you don't get outside of cities. When you have no job opportunities anymore and the promised services that a city is supposed to be providing in exchange for you paying a little bit more to live there, when those don't materialize yeah, and, and you see they don't materialize, why do you want to stay?
3: Yeah, you find well, yourself cooped up in a s- one-bedroom flat that you're paying well, look, this and- is. Only, same amount of money for. This is
0: only half the story. This is the these is the top ten cities where people have left. Now, let's pull up the follow-on tweet by Ian Wyatt. Now let's look at the top ten <laughs> cities that have picked up population. We'll start with number ten. Raleigh, North Carolina, sixty six thousand more people. Number nine, Orlando, Florida, 83,000 more people. Number eight, San Antonio, Texas, 86,000 more people. Seven, Charlotte, North Carolina, 87,000 more. Number six, Tampa, Florida, 103,000 more. Number five, Atlanta, Georgia, 118,000 more. Number four, Austin, Texas, 121,000. Number three, Phoenix, Arizona, 146,000. Number two, Houston, Texas, 199,000. And finally, Dallas, Texas, at two hundred and seventy-seven thousand additional people,
3: and every single one of those gets bluer as a result. So now we talk about the locust effect. Well,
0: okay, hang actually,
3: on, hang on. So, so
2: actually, look at look at this. This is this yeah. gets into the great sorting and the the, the, the ideological self-sorting as yes. well, and then the discussion about a potential national divorce. Because look at the cities that are shrinking the fastest right now, and look at what states they're in. Hamilton, if you pull back the the um, fastest shrinking cities in America, what do you see on the list? You see New York, you see California, you see Illinois, Michigan, and then you, Massachusetts. Could throw in, you could throw in Massachusetts and Michigan as well. Yeah. Massachusetts heavily Ohio, blue.
0: Ohio is the only state up there, and it's Cleveland, Ohio, which is a very, very liberal city in Ohio, but it's the, it's the only... I mean, you could argue that Pennsylvania, uh, Louisiana... Louisiana yeah, Pennsylvania is a swing
2: state. Ohio has become a red state. Louisiana is a red state. But but Cleveland and New Orleans are ultra, ultra blue bastions yeah. inside of red yeah. states. New and Orleans, they have had yeah. New Orleans has had problems for a long time. Cleveland has had problems for half a century. Yeah. So those have been on the list for a long time. But the rest of those cities are all in. Illinois, California, and New York. Those are the yeah, big three right but, there. And then when you look at the cities that are growing the fastest... Where the where are those Texas, states located? Florida. Texas and Florida, yeah. and then some other ones: North Carolina, Tennessee yeah. is is I know up. It's no cities on there, but Tennessee is one of the fastest growing yeah. states. You see Georgia as well, which did vote blue, but has a red legislature and has yeah. a red governor and has been a traditionally conservative state. So so it's conservative. Yeah, well, Georgia governed only goes
3: blue because, because of, of Atlanta. Atlanta. A yeah. lot of those ones that are listed. Those are the cities that are pretty much the whole reason that state goes the way it goes. And they're losing it to other cities, but they're all big cities that are all going to turn blue as a result and start tilting those uh states yeah we saw it in arizona and georgia
0: i agree now here's the question though here's the question though because tina mentioned it earlier we call it the locust effect right there's two effects
3: i make no apologies for that analogy
0: there's two effects i know i got in trouble for using it once i don't care there's two effects that we talk about we talk about the locust effect and the refugee effect so the refugee is someone that leaves a state for a better state Understanding that that is what they are doing. And typically, and this is true of internationally as well, typically refugees are very grateful for the place that they're going. They're very grateful for the opportunities, the safety and everything that is located there. They want to become a part of it. Um, they're, They're not looking to change it into the place that they fled. Right, that's that's the refugee mentality. It's like I get it. It's not that I hate where I came from. It's more that I recognize that it got destroyed by bad policies and I don't want to bring them with me.
3: Yeah. Those are the, outnumbered by the way. The
0: locust effect. By the locust. The locust effect is someone that will help contribute to the downfall of the area that they're at, but then has the wherewithal to leave. And where do they leave? They go to where other wealth has already been generated. And then they go. They bring the policies with them. They bring the practices with them, and they destroy the wealth in that place you as go, well. Oh,
3: hey, look! Those policies are working. I'm going to go there, reap the benefits of it, and then turn it into the place I so left.
2: So I'm going to push back against Tina just a little bit. I do yeah. agree to a point that you can you can look at Georgia.
3: It depends are you on about to be more optimistic than no. Me? no hang on, it, it, <laughs> kind I'm of, shocked. Kind of. It <laughs> depends.
2: It depends on what is driving you to move. So a good example is Georgia with the locust effect. What did Georgia do? Well, they passed a bunch of tax credits encouraging Hollywood liberals to move there. Shocker! The state turns blue, right? Um, But look at what happened in Florida, right? So Florida became a beacon for people to move to during COVID. They they reopened earlier than pretty much anywhere else. They passed tons of conservative policies because they have a heavily conservative legislature and a very conservative governor, and. Woe well, and behold, Florida is the currently fastest growing state in the country. My aunt from uh, um, Burbank, California in Los Angeles County moved to West Palm beach. And she was one of those, those people that moved from California to Florida and then voted for Santos. Yeah, And so I'm using that as an example to point out that, yes, you can have the locust effect. There's instances where that takes place, but look at Florida as an example, that a state that got redder as people by the hundreds of thousands were pouring into the state. And so that's what I think Nick is trying to get out in this episode, that, that what you're seeing is not just the locust effect. You're also seeing an ideological self-sorting where people are sick and tired, conservative-leaning people, maybe even former Democrats, are sick and tired and living in some of these crappy cities that have spiraling taxes, spiraling crime rates, out-of-control rent or mortgage costs. They can no longer afford to live there. And it's not even nice to live there anymore and they're moving and not all of them are taking their 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 previous voting patterns with them in fact not all of them used to be on the left a lot of them were on the right
3: as a result of the pandemic and all the shutdowns while florida was staying open and people were fleeing fleeing basically uh, oppressive policies where they were coming from And, and so i think that it's not get if we don't have another pandemic another situation where they put their boots on our necks again um i don't know that that trend stays so this is this is, is where
0: this is where i'm gonna. this is my optimistic pushback right and this moves us this moves us to the third thing that we're talking about and and that is the reasons why it might be different this time Right. Because we, we've seen this sort of thing happen before and people always make arguments. Well, yeah, of course, elderly people move from super cold New England to super warm and dry Arizona or to super warm Florida. You know, there's snowbirds and whatnot. And, you know, they didn't move down there because they desperately wanted conservative politics. Because, quite frankly, there wasn't there wasn't necessarily a huge departure from what they were leaving to what they were going to with respect to their overall marginal tax yeah, rate. But that's right? nothing new. Well, yeah, let me this is the point of Trying to make the reason why I think it it might be I'm not saying it absolutely it might be different this time is not just because of the pandemic I think the pandemic accelerated some of this stuff where it demonstrated very very stark differences between the way certain people managed it some states managed it and other states managed it all right but that didn't mean a bunch of people moved to South Dakota who arguably had the best policy right what it does it's that combined with a number of other things that they're interacting with on a daily basis, whether it be at their schools, whether it be with crime. And, and what's important to recognize is that it used to be, you could point there, there was, there was general differences between parties and, and the philosophical approaches that they took, but there was also differences within those parties where you could find, you know, your, your pro-life Democrat or your pro-gun Democrat or your hard on crime Democrat, Right, and you could find your your pro-abortion Republican. Right, the parties have ideologically sorted sorted well. very significantly, and there's no denying this. To the point where finding a pro-life Demo- an elected pro-life Democrat is nearly impossible now. It, it's con- it's considered an- antithetical to the. So so where are you going with the, this? Uh, so here's my the here's question, my point. though:
3: is whether or not independents have self sorted as well. Have, have they been pushed to one side if or the other are, a little bit and more?
0: And here's, here's where I'm going draw. And we can go to our point three. You can look at some of this, Thomas Massey has some stuff to say. Matthew Kilkin has, has stuff to say as well. I think when you have a, a suburban mother who, who might be, you know, perfectly fine with, with a lot of more, like, say, left-wing uh, progressive policies when it comes to, oh, yeah, of course we want paid family leave. And, of course, we want greater welfare programs. And, of course, we, when that mom who is paying exorbitant taxes in Los Angeles – has to walk past a homeless encampment to pick up her child from school. I think that's someone that's starting to look at this and going like there's something drastically wrong with this. And we we pointed this out actually in a Why Minute we did a while back, which I encourage everyone to take a look at our our Why Minutes channel because we talk about a lot of these things in very, very short three-minute videos. They're very easy to consume, very easy to share. But we talked about... This isn't just something where I'm I'm moving because the taxes are too high. Somebody that has lived in Los Angeles all their life, San Francisco all their life, New York all their life, Boston all their life, they've always lived with high taxes. It's not even high to them. But they were told, I'm paying these high taxes and I'm paying these high real estate costs because I'm getting the best schools, I'm getting the nicest parks, I'm getting the cleanest streets, I'm getting the safe neighborhoods, and guess what? It isn't true. It isn't true. And they're looking at their friends that have already moved to Dallas or to Austin or to Miami or, or, or not even in a major city, just moved to a different state. And you know what they're recognizing? Oh, my gosh, the, the school's good. And there's no homeless problem right outdoor. And, and there aren't needles all over the ground like there are in San Francisco. and And if somebody breaks into a store and tries to steal it, the police show up and arrest them. And they're paying less taxes for it. They're paying less taxes for the things that I'm being told I'm paying more taxes for. And the moment, the moment I step and say, wait a second, you, you, you know, my kid didn't even get into this school because you know, they're, they're too Asian, right? (laughs) Like that happened in Fairfax, Virginia. They're looking and then, and then the representatives who they thought they were on the same side of look at them and like, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe, you're. And they're looking at that, going, "Whoa, wait a second! I've never been the one accused of these things by people that I used to go have wine with." And I think that there, I think that there is an issue happening right now, and Christian can definitely articulate some of this issue that's happening among working class people who are now feeling totally alienated by representatives that they used to thought were on their side. It was this this cultural conviction that, "Well, yeah, the Democrats are the party of the of the working the working people." Right, and the Republicans are are the party of these these big, mean, evil corporations. That's that's not the world anymore, and it's become obvious, or let's say it's become far more obvious to a far greater um, number of people. And they're starting to realize they're never going to change it in New York City, they're never going to change it in San Francisco, they're never going to change it in Los Angeles, they're never going to change it in Chicago. So they're leaving, and they're not moving down the road. They're not moving one county over. They're moving to a place where they feel reasonably certain they're going to actually be able to experience an environment that is far more conducive than them raising their children, opening their business, or keeping a job with real estate prices they can afford. I think they're starting to make those connections.
2: I'll give you a really good example to go back to the Detroit analogy, because Detroit has gone through what many of these other cities are about to go through. Detroit had their chance to vote to change their policy trajectory and they chose to double down on it. Yep. And then people voted with their feet. They yeah. tried to fix the problem by the ballot box and it didn't work so they picked up and they voted with their feet. Chicago had an opportunity to, to course correct and fix some of these policy problems. And instead they chose to double down. And now Chicagoans that were on the wrong side of that election, they will be voting with their feet eventually. And you're already starting to see it happen with some of these businesses pull out. You're also starting to see it happen with the hundred plus thousand people that already moved out of the metro area since COVID began. So I think that what's happening is a combination. I I think it's obvious that it's a combination of both the locust effect and an ideological self-sorting. There's no question about that. But what I think is, is what this is going to, but th- here's the thing. The locus effect has always been with us, always. Yes. Yeah. What has not always been with us is the ideological self-sorting. The refugee sorting. effect. That's what's new. What's not new, here's, a, here's an example to prove it's not new. You had a locust effect in the 1980s with snowbirds in New York City and Connecticut moved to West Palm Beach, moved to Palm Beach County, and they flipped it blue. Yeah, Palm Beach County had traditionally been a Republican county until the mid-80s, and then it flipped to blue in 1988, and it stayed blue until Ron DeSantis flipped it in 2022. Yeah. That's an example of the locust effect. Liberals from New York City moving to a community and flipping it blue and keeping it blue for 30 years. That's been with us for before I've even been born, right? But what's new... Is this ideological refugee status that people are taking when they're moving from California to Tennessee? right? You saw Dave Rubin is a good example of this. He lived in California his entire life, used to be on the left, was was part of the Young Turks, had a bit of an ideological change. He became more of a classical liberal rather than a a liberal progressive. And eventually things got so bad in California and there was an opportunity to do a course correct and vote out Gavin Newsom and they didn't do that. And he said, you know what? I'm done playing this game. California will never fix itself. It will never fix itself voting wise. If I can't vote by ballot box to fix a I'm going to vote with my feet. And what did he do? He moved to Miami. Yeah, And well, if, you saw the same thing with Ben Shapiro who moved to Nashville. Well, and, and so this, what is happening is that people who have moderately conservative values or even are apolitical.
0: They're moving out of places that they can't stand. And right
2: now they can't stand these blue
0: cities. This is the part we also need to look at. So this is a map that Thomas Massey pulled up, and this is net domestic migration by county 21 to 2022. Now, here's what's interesting, right? Because we talked about the cities that have picked up the biggest population. But here's what you find. When you look at these states, the cities in red states are losing people and the rural areas are picking them up.
2: To that point, can we clarify for the audience when we were reading off cities yeah. that were growing, what we meant by that was metro areas, yeah. not city limits. The, yeah. the, the city limits of many of these cities in red states are either, st- like a good example is Miami. The city of Miami is shrinking. The South Florida metro area that we call yeah. Greater Miami that is growing, but and the map shows it right. Miami Dade County yeah. is actually shrinking, but South Florida as a whole is booming. You see the same thing in Texas. Dallas County, yeah, this this city limits of Dallas are currently shrinking, but the but the Dallas metro area yeah. is exploding in population right well,
0: and now. That, and that that also that also goes to the larger point that we're making because in in when you move to some of these places. Right, if you go to Austin, Austin is incredibly liberal. It, it may be in Texas, but it is a dot of blue, dark blue, in a sea of red. But what that does is it creates an environment where there's only so much the mayor and the city council can do to screw things up, because there's a state legislature that can essentially put a pause on things. And again, if you're gonna, if you're, if you're if you're going to set up a factory in Texas, you're not putting it in downtown Austin. You might have a storefront there. You might have a business front there, but you're not setting up you know, most of that stuff right in the middle of the city limits. Real estate's too expensive. It doesn't make any sense. And so what that means is that you, you have the ability... That even if there are very, very liberal areas within a red state, you still have the ability for a state legislature for a governor that's going to make sure none of the absolute nonsense comes to complete fruition. And when you are betting on where to play, like Michigan became the first state ever to repeal right to work. Now, they hadn't had it for that long, but they repealed right to work. At the same time that they they doubled down and reelected Governor Whitmer, who was one of the most draconian lockdown governors in the country. If you've got a major business in Michigan, you are thinking to yourself, this is not going to get better anytime soon. Or the only thing that's going to make it get better is when my business gets buried under a sea of regulation, crime, and and labor laws. And so you're like, well, I don't want to be the example for why this state's policies fail. I'm moving to a state that is not going to punish me for employing people, that is not going to punish me for making money and reinvesting into my company. So where did they go? North Carolina, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Arizona. And this is the distinction that we were making before. Yeah, there's a lot of people that moved to Florida or Arizona for weather reasons, right? The snowbird thing where they they go down there because it's I mean it's just easier to live in these climates especially when you get older and you're dealing with arthritis and sickness and everything else. They didn't they didn't move to Arizona or Florida for you know the the politics. They moved down there for the sunshine and for but the they've weather. They've always been doing that. But they've always been doing that. More people were moving to Florida, and it was, it was one of the first times I can look at a place where you had a, a net migration from very, very blue liberal states to very, very red states, and the red states got redder. That is a dynamic I don't think we've seen before, right? When people were flooding into California in, in the 80s and the 90s, California did not get more red. It got bluer to the point where now it's like a byword. People forget, when I, when I was, I, I lived in California- we had a Republican governor. Pete Wilson was our governor. We, we had a state legislature that hadn't completely lost its mind. Now you can't even imagine that. You can't even imagine that in California. Well, we we had a huge migration. The state didn't get redder. You look at these, huge migration, state didn't get redder. This is the first time I've seen it. We've had huge migrations, and the states have actually either maintained or gotten more red as a result. And people have noticed. I yes. have
2: seen on online and in person so many people say, I want to move to Florida. I want to move to Florida. I was born in Miami, so I've got family there. (laughs) I have even more reason to move there, but I'm more inclined to want to move to Florida because of their policies, the direction that they're going, and the fact that it's getting redder. And I feel like that I would be more free in Florida than I do here. And by the way, when you look at this map, we need to include a link to this, to this tweet alone in the, the audio files. That way people that are listening yeah. to us can actually look at this after the podcast. This tweet by Thomas Massey. By the way, did, can we read off the, the actual text of yeah, the tweet, sure. Hamilton? I want to read this off to, to people. Here's what Thomas Massey said. He wrote this on my birthday. What a great tweet. He wrote it for me. Um, now, here's what he said. He said, people are leaving uh, cities and blue states, fleeing areas mismanaged by Democrats. Meanwhile, at the federal level, leftists are continuing their march to nationalize all laws so no one can escape their harmful ideology this gets into the this, national divorce this is discussion. where we
0: get into the national divorce so let's go ahead and excuse me go to the next tweet and I, I saw this one. I think, uh, I, don't know, I think Christian brought it up. Christian saw this one. And it was uh, uh, Matthew Kolkin. He said, I'm not optimistic about 2024. I believe our only hope as a nation is a sweeping return to federalism that de the federal government and redistributes power back to the individual states where it belongs. Now, I, I responded to this. I said, I totally agree, but statists are going to statist and they're never happy doing it only at the state level. And this is the point. This gets to the heart of what Massey was saying is that it would be one thing, and, and I'll give another example of this self, an idea, like definitively ideological self-sorting was the Liberty State Project. So a bunch of libertarians actually signed an agreement that said uh, on certain conditions, we're all going to move to New Hampshire and we're going to drastically take over that state and we're going to prove that this can be done correctly. And they did it. They did it. You're, you're, New Hampshire right now, if you look at like their school choice legislation, their regulatory legislation, their gun rights, everything, I mean, it's incredible. You would never know it was a part of New England. It really stands out as, as, a, as a harsh difference from from the rest of New England with respect to their far more like liberty oriented policy positions. They did it. So it can be done. The reason why the national divorce situation comes up is because there's a couple of things. there's a couple of conditions that I believe are necessary for. It. People have been talking about like every time they have a federal election they don't like, they're like, oh, you know, screw this. Like give me a break. right? Don't don't be don't be petulant. right? Is it really that bad? Well, now we're getting to a point where it used to be that, hey, look, if I don't like what's going on in my state, I can move states. And it used to be like, okay, yeah, we don't like the person that just got elected, but hey, these, these things change all the time. It's, it's not that big a deal. The problem is, is that more and more people are becoming convinced, and sometimes they'll blame both parties, sometimes they predominantly blame one. There's no doubt that the left, the, their, their political ideology, wants to impose more rules at the federal level. Right. The, one of the major distinctions usually between the two political philosophies, not necessarily between every politician that claimed to be a Republican or a Democrat, but one of the primary differences that really started to, to take root and, and become a defining characteristic between the two parties was this idea of limiting federal control and keeping the federal government closer to Article One, Section Eight. Now if you're a libertarian listening to this, you'll be like, oh yeah, the Republicans really believe, and I totally get that critique. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong, I want, but that has been the general argument. There's been, a, a, at least somewhat, even if it was just verbal, an intellectual commitment to this idea that the federal government was never established to try to impose the scope, the depth, the breadth of everything that they're trying to do on every single state. They were supposed to s- stick to certain things that were federal things. And then let individual states make decisions that work best for their populations. I don't believe, and here's what I'm going to say, I don't believe the left believes in that. I think the left believes that if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And if it's something that San Francisco is doing, then it's something the whole, by golly, it's something the whole country should do. And I, I will say as a conservative, there's things that I will look at and be like, yes, I believe this would be best for the whole country. I absolutely believe that if we implemented certain policies, they would be best for the whole country. But what it means to be a conservative or, or to have what Thomas Sowell referred to as the constrained division is the idea that we understand that imposing things on high a lot of times has very, very negative results. If you look at Edmund Burke and his arguments with respect to conservative, it was very much about this idea that if you were constantly just trying to impose new rules, new restrictions, new ideas on everybody all at once, you are far more likely to get a devastating backlash, which will undermine the entire system and lead to rebellion, lead to revolution. And it's one of the reasons why we've kind of pushed this idea of federal government does a few things, states do a lot more things. That way you give people the ability to be unified around our federal government when appropriate, right? We can all be Americans. But if I like all the social welfare stuff, if I... Great, I'll move to Massachusetts or California, and and if I don't really like those stuff, I'm, I'm I can get away to a state that is not going to impose those things. I don't believe the left wants that. I believe they're determined to to push woke social progressivism on every single state to where there is no escape. Right now, it is leading to self-storting with respect to states. Fine, I'm going to leave the, my my deep blue state, and I'm going to go to a more conservative one. But the more they try to say, okay, you may, you may flee to Florida. You may flee to Texas, but we're coming after you for taxes. We're coming after you for these policies. We're pushing them through federal programs. You're never going to get your money back for your state unless you adopt all these other things that we're, we're requiring of you. We are getting very, very close to a point. And we're already starting to see aspects of it where governors are going to start to say, not in my state. You really want to do that, federal government? Come down and try to do it. Because the dirty little secret in all of this is federal government does not have the law enforcement capacity or capability to impose all of their federal rules and regulations. They don't. They're either going to have to massively expand them or they're going to have to resort to other means in order to collect the taxes, collect the money, confiscate the money in order to impose their will. I wasn't expecting to bring this up,
2: but I I, I will say they will massively expand them. This is why you see mundane federal agencies that have purchases for... Millions of rounds of yeah. ammunition, like like I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm serious that like like the in Department our audience, of education, our, yeah. like like I'm sorry, the postal service doesn't need ammunition, right? Like like there's 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 things that our audience will probably believe, and I think is true that no, the the left's vision. I I, I actually replied to Matthew Culkin's tweet, and I yeah. said. One side where he said that, you know, the solution is a return to federalism and defanging the federal government and letting states be states and us going back to Article 1, Section 8, right? And I said, the problem is, is that one side of the political spectrum is utterly uninterested in that sort of compromise and will settle for nothing short of total submission to their will. I also quote tweeted him and said that... um, The side that wants to win will always beat the side that just wants to be left alone. And conservatives just want to be left alone. That's why they're self-sorting, right? This is why my aunt moved from Burbank to Florida. She wanted to be left alone. She didn't want to have to deal with the high taxes. She didn't want to have to deal with the crime. She didn't want to have to deal with the the homeless encampments and the drugs. And and so she moved to Florida. She just wanted to be left alone. She's now retired. Um, There's an entire political movement in this country and an entire political party devoted to that movement that does not want her to be left alone. Yeah. They they want you could escape California. It what is it? it it's it's <laughs> it's the Hotel California. Yeah. You can check out whatever you want, but you can <laughs> you never can leave, leave, right? And 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 they want they want Hotel California for everybody, right? You can check out of the state of California, you can check out of the state of New York, but you can never leave because if they take over the federal government, they will impose it from high. That is the entire stated mission of the Democratic Party. They view states as an as an obstacle to overcome, not a beauty in the federalist system. They're Unitarians. And I I, I think that this is why there's more talk of a, of a potential national divorce. Now, whether or not it happens or how it happens, that's a whole nother issue. Well, and I'd that's, love that's, to get some feedback from you guys
0: on that. But I think that's where we're going. Well, there's, there's, there's a couple of things that are generally necessary. Again, a lot of people can just like blab about national divorce. First of all, can I just say right now, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want the United States to dissolve. What I, what I'm saying again, I'm putting it on my analytical hat and it's like, okay, what are the conditions necessary for something like that? One, you have to have very, very deep cultural divides within a country in order for it to happen. Two, you need to have a certain degree of geographical sorting to where one side of the country believes, acts, and behaves very different than another side of the country. Three, and this is where you get the impetus for conflict is when one side of the other side is attempting to impose all of those things at the highest level possible, where now 49% of the country can essentially be subjugated by 51% of the country. And the thing is, is that when you when you value, quote, democracy more than you do liberty then it makes sense that you would impose all this for the federal level, because this is just the democratic process. And if the majority has decided this is the right thing to do, and believe me, they have decided it's the right thing to do. Well, then of course it has to be imposed on you and they have the ability to make comparisons that don't, that intellectually don't work, but it does in their worldview. That's why they'll say, Oh, so you think it should have been left up to the States to decide slavery? No, of course not, because that is a direct violation of individual liberty. It's a direct violation. You're you're, you're treating someone like a possession, like you own them. Of course, that's something that shouldn't be allowed anywhere in the United States. But when you're willing to say, I'm going to use that example, and now I'm going to apply it to everything because, after all, the entire system is institutionally racist based off of a system of, of hierarchies which are designed to oppress the minorities. And how do you prove that's true? Well, any sort of disparity within society. And therefore, wherever disparity exists, the evil thing that we're trying to get rid of exists. And and therefore, we have to impose this stuff at the federal level. How could you possibly want a bastion or a holdout place for systemic racism and, and inequity? And so they're able to morally justify why, of course, they need to take this approach and why it needs to be top down and why there should be no refuge from it. Because they've convinced, and this is where it goes back into the famous C.S. Lewis quote that those who abuse us, or those that essentially oppress us for our own good, will do so without end because they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And that's that's where I honestly believe we're at right now. I don't believe that they're they're all. I don't believe that progressives are all sitting in a room right now going, "Ooh, I can't wait to oppress these these conservatives because after all, they're the true oppressor." I think they honestly believe that they've they've found the secret. That they have they, they have the, the moral superiority and the moral high ground to impose this. And anybody that's standing against them on something, no matter how minor it might be, that's standing against the larger you know, objective, the mission, and the power that they need to be able to make everything better. And so you don't get a refuge from that. And if you've adopted that argument, it becomes very easy to impose. And the number of things that you will justify in order to impose it will get increasingly worse over time.
1: Nick, do you think that the people that are moving from California and these liberal states even realize that the policies that they are bringing with them were the policies that made where they came from such a terrible situation?
0: Well, again, this goes back. There's an assumption in that question, and that is if you're leaving California or going somewhere else, you're bringing your policies with you. That's the locust mentality. Again, locust phenomenon, refugee phenomenon. I think what we're actually seeing is fewer locusts and more refugees. And again, let me just clarify this. So like media matters or something. I'm not calling individual humans locusts. I'm saying that this is a particular mentality.
3: No, we're just saying they behave like.
0: This. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying it's a, it's a, it's a destructive mentality. Um, but I don't think that's, I think you're actually getting more people that are refugees. I think they're moving not just because, Um, Of lower taxes, I think that there is a a far more distinct or or far more obvious connection between the things that caused them to move and the policies that made those things possible. And they're fleeing those policies because they don't want the consequences of them. I
1: think part of the reason is, too, that people moved to San Diego and these big cities to, like Christian said, find jobs, but also because they wanted to be able to say that they lived in New York City or San Diego or Los Angeles. And the fact that they live there now or Los Angeles and New York don't mean what it used to mean to them, Mm -hmm. that the big city doesn't have the
2: value or the social currency that it used to. They have a negative yeah. brand now. They, yeah. yeah <laughs> well, brand in, so, in some ways they do.
3: I mean, the hope, the hope, I mean, because a lot of these people with the sort of state to state refugee status, I guess is what we're ta- calling it now. A lot of them may not actually have fully flushed out what it is that they have a problem with. And so they may not make the correlation between the policies they may have, may have voted for versus the policies that are being implemented um, that ca- cause them to leave they may not actually blame those negative effects on policy
0: no that that's that's absolutely correct and that that is historically that has been the case that's why net migration hasn't meant that you've gotten more red it's usually meant that you've gotten more blue but,
3: but i but think the, that the refugee idea is they may come and go. Oh, I just love it here, and I'm just so happy to get out of that place, or blah blah blah. And then the next thing you know, they're going. Well, why don't we have more internet here? Okay, and why don't Gina, we have Gina, sidewalks we, we, here? We we keep
2: we we keep circling back to the locust thing, and yeah. and
3: I, the problem is, is that I. I we will see. We well, will no, see. No, you they, know, no, it they, will be determined seen. in the this next is, few elections. Know,
2: look, look. We <laughs> have seen. Again, Florida is a good example of yeah. this. Florida exploded in population at the same time that it sh- massively shifted to the right. Yeah, there is we've already granted that yes, people move for whatever reason and they carry their politics with them. But what we've seen for the first time, arguably ever, or at least in my lifetime is not just that. That's always been with us. What's What's new is people moving for ideological reasons and changing their politics or carrying their politics, and they're not exclusively people on the left moving. They're uh-uh. also people on the right moving from blue places to red places. And what that's going to produce is geographic polarization is going to increase. Well, and in, so- oh, in terms of ideology, and that's where you get into discussions about national divorces.
3: You use Florida as an example, though they're not the only ones that experience the population boom and. Is there an effect on the other states like like
0: North Carolina, North Carolina was, was actually kind of trending a little bit more blue, but they now have a majority. They have a veto proof Republican majority in North Carolina. Now they've experienced massive growth. Tennessee's experiencing growth. They've gotten more conservative Texas right now, I think is actually swinging back more red.
3: So that that would be good.
0: So we'll see. So here's, here's the point. Well, okay. I'm going to wrap all this up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make the larger argument here that we, we've been discussing. First of all, let's define our terms. All right, there's locust. St- what we're saying is is the locust effect and the refugee effect. Now, Tina keeps bringing up, well, what about what if these refugees are actually locusts? Then they're locusts. They're not refugees. That's the whole point. Like there's these these terms have meaning. These terms that we're coining today have meanings. The locust is someone that goes to another place because they don't like what's happening where they came from, but they don't understand that the policies that they implemented. Are, are what caused it, and so therefore they bring the policies with them to the new place. The refugee is someone that desperately understands that what they're leaving was bad, and they have a good understanding for why it was bad, and they are not bringing those policies with them. They're going to some place that actually has and reflects the policies that they would like to see in their lives, and that's why they so easily go into that that new place and are are not only um, thankful for it, but usually highly productive. In the new place, because they're very grateful for the new opportunity to live in an area that they want and they want to be a part of it. So those are the two terms the locust effect, the refugee effect. Now let's go to the three things that we mention with respect to what, what makes national divorce actually possible and not just something that talking heads talk about. The first of all, you need to first thing you need to have significantly different visions for the country between large sectors of the population. We're not we're not talking about two people in their mother's basement complaining about one. We're talking about large sectors of the population that have very, very, almost diametrically opposed visions for the future. Do we have that in the United States? Shaq? Absolutely. Second, geographical sorting. And the reason why this is so important is because if you have a 50-50 state, well, then there's enough transfer of power back between, you know, one governor or another governor, one legislature and another legislature, localities, things like that, to where... There's just not that big a difference or, or nothing drastically changes overnight, or, you know, you, you can move one state over and it it's no real big deal, right? However, when you have a situation where people are saying, I am moving this state because I don't like the policy or the politics, and I'm moving to a different one because I want to be, I want to not only have a better life, but I want to make sure that the policies I'm fleeing never come here. And what ends up happening is you have either individual States or a block of States and you're going to notice that all of the states that we just talked about are in the South and the, uh, in Texas, right? In, in Arizona to the some sun degree. Belt, basically, but it's, it's the sunbelt, right? So you have a geographical area now where you have multiple states that are starting to adopt policies that look a lot like one another, right? Which means you, you end up with a cultural dominance, right? So now we have the geographic, that's the second part, geographical sorting that takes place, major geographical shifts and sorting. Is that happening in America? Yes. What is the third component that is necessary where people start really start to consider a national divorce? That's where when you have that self-sorting that has taken place, you have two groups in their respective camps, right, that are able to live out their life and live out their policies. But one side demands that the other side adopt the same policies. One side says, it is not good enough that you're not living in my state. I want to impose our state's policies on your state, and I'm going to do that through federal Power. When you get to that point, you start to have states going, why is it that I'm allowing this massive federal government to confiscate tax dollars to take them away from me and to only give them back if I adopt the policies that I left that other state for? I left that other state over these policies, these social policies, these economic policies, and now you're imposing on me at the federal level. It wasn't good enough that you had the states where you could do whatever you want. You want the state I fled to as well. That's the point where you get to start to see people ask serious questions on, is this union still good for us? Or would it be better if you had your country
2: and we had ours? And there's a spoiler alert for the next episode. We um, we found something that's actually quite sobering about how people are reacting to this because there's already signs to suggest that this whole national divorce thing is, is, heading towards that direction because the the common bonds that have held this country together in terms of culture and society are really starting to fray according to some to some very recent polling.
0: We're going to we're going to do a whole episode where we're going to talk about what what were those values that held us together where if you were a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, didn't matter, there were certain elements that were a part of the core American experiment, the American experience that everyone had some level of appreciation for and connected with. The whole next episode is going to be discussing how those are starting, as Christian described, starting to fray, especially along generational lines. So we're going to talk about those things. We're going to get into it again. I hope you found this, um, this episode helpful. The one other thing I want to end with here uh, on my side, and then I hand it over to Hamilton is I want to make something very clear. I don't want a national divorce. I love my country. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to stay, um, in the composition that it currently is. I don't want to see any States break off, but I certainly understand people making an argument that why am I going to remain in a relationship that I believe has become abusive and for which they're telling me there is no escape. And so part of what this comes down to is a, is a good friend of mine once said, he goes, Nick, we talk about Liberty. We talk about socialism. We talk about these other things. What a lot of this comes down to is respect. If you truly respect another human being, you'll let them live the life that they want to live, provided they don't infringe on your right to do the same. And I think we've come to a point where we're no longer respecting that, and it will have dire consequences if we don't correct. Hamilton, take it away. Before we go...
1: Make sure you go to the link in the description here. Subscribe to the Making the Argument channel on YouTube. If you're an audio-only listener and you have never seen the video, I hope you will join us this coming Tuesday at about 12 p.m. Eastern on Nick's channel on the Making the Arg- Argument channel. We're going to be streaming to both locations on Tuesday at 12 p.m. We do have intentions of starting streaming later in the afternoon as we go forward about a month down the road. So join us on Tuesday. We look forward to seeing you there. It will be live at around noon next Tuesday, April 11th.
0: All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time.